afternoon. How are we? I love that video. Um, if you haven't explored the Bible Projects catalog, dig in because there's some really good stuff there. Really good, um, good scholarship and just as you see, like really good animation too. It's just quality all the way around. So, uh, David, thanks for that introduction. It's very kind. <laughs> um, greetings from Austin Mustard Seed, the the expression of the body that I'm a part of here in, in town. Uh, it's really good to be here with you. Such a sweet spirit in this room. Ever since I walked in, you've got something special here. Uh, so I know you've begun a series on the Shema, which I think is so cool. And uh, I think that's one of those things that's kind of overlooked a lot in our kind of evangelical churches. And so I love this deep dive into it. And I'm really excited to, to be a small part of that. Um, before we dive in, let's just open in prayer, if that's okay. God, we love you. Um, we know you are here. We don't need to invite you. Um, but help us to be attentive to your presence as we read scripture and as we uh, talk and as we study. Uh, let us be attentive to your spirit um, and be working on us uh, as we uh, listen today and as we talk today. Pray this in your name. Amen. Okay, let's, let's deep dive into the Shema. So uh, as you probably know by now, we are uh, here in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Keep these words that I am commanding you today in your heart. Recite them to your children and talk about them when you're at home and when you're away, when you lie down and when you rise. Bind them as, soon, as, as a sign on your hand. Fix them as an emblem on your forehead and write them on the doorstep, doorposts of your house and on your gates. Okay, so that's Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. So you probably noticed that was the Shema and then the directions about the Shema. And, and I love that. We're probably not going to get too much into this today, but I just think those directions are beautiful. Recite them to your children. Talk about them when you're home and when you're away, when you lie down, when you rise. Bind them as a sign on your hand. Fix them as an emblem on your forehead and write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And there is a lot of evidence that the Jewish people of this time took that literally and they bound it to their hands and wrote it on their foreheads and they recited it with their children. And maybe you've heard that things are both caught and taught. And I love this. And I think real quick, too often, we, and maybe especially with our children and especially with spiritual direction, we kind of just assume that they'll get it. That if we just kind of go to church and we call ourselves Christian and maybe we say a prayer before we eat dinner at night, they're just going to kind of get this. And I think anybody who's been around college students for a while can know that too often they don't just get it. It's not just picked up. And we teach our kids the things that are really important to us. None of us assume that our kids are just going to pick up math somewhere, right? We send them to school so they get taught math for hours and hours and hours. We don't just assume that they're just going to pick up reading because they see us reading all the time, right? We teach them how to read. We teach them 
phonics, right? Because we know that that's important because we want them to have that. And so I, I just really believe that today we have got to explicitly teach our children what it looks like to love the Lord with all our heart, with our soul, and with all our mind. We've got to explicitly do that. And obviously, yes, we've got to live that out. We can't just be hypocrites saying this is the way to live, but don't do as I do. It's caught and it's taught. Okay, so, uh, so that's the Shema. It's a really big deal in Jewish life in this time in the Old Testament and in Jesus's time, which we're about to talk about. And then Jewish folks today will often recite the Shema every day. So it's a big deal. So let's zoom past several hundred years later to Jesus's time. <laughs> this is Matthew 22, verses 34 through 40. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? He said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest in the first command. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commands hang all the law and the prophets. So in Jesus's day, this was actually a discussion that, that rabbis would have amongst themselves. And they were talking shop and they would say, well, what do you think is the greatest commandment? What do you think is the greatest commandment? And, they, and it wasn't a settled issue by far. I mean, there, was, there were a lot of rabbis that would have said, it's got to be the one about love the Lord your God, right? But they would talk about this a lot. It wasn't a settled issue. Many opted for uh, commands. The command to obey your parents is the greatest. The, I guess those rabbis had kids, I guess, or something. I don't know. Um, rabbis distinguished between light and heavy commandments in practice. Uh, scholars have, uh, Jewish scholars have found uh, over uh, 600 commandments in the, in the Old Testament. And, and these were commandments they thought they should literally follow. And so, obviously, that is hard to hold in your head. And so it forced rabbis to uh, delineate between light and heavy commandments. So the idea was that if you followed the heavy ones, you were probably following the light ones. And so they try to distill it even more. And so that's where this comes from. And the Pharisees are trying to trip up Jesus because this is, this is a high-level question, right, that even good, educated rabbis disagree with. But Jesus doesn't fall for it. He gives them the answer. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. But then he doesn't stop. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting that he doesn't stop? Then he says, and the second is like it, uh, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So <clears throat> I, I think it's easy for us to kind of skip over this, what just happened here. So it's kind of like this. Just imagine that you're at some big event in America. You're at a NASCAR race. And they say, we're going to say the national anthem. We're going to sing the national anthem. And someone from the audience says, um, excuse me, I've been looking at our national anthem and I have a few additions I'd like to add. <laughs> and everyone would say, no thanks, buddy. We got it. It's good like it is. This is akin to what Jesus does here. He, uh, he amends the Shema. He amends the Shema. 
Scott McKnight has this great book. Scott McKnight is a, a New Testament scholar, seminary professor. He's got a whole book that's called The Jesus Creed, and he calls the Shema plus love the Lord, love your neighbor as yourself. He calls it the Jesus Creed. And, and it's, it is impossible for us to overestimate what Jesus has done here by adding on, by tacking on, love your neighbor as yourself. To love, uh, to love God with our whole heart is the cause of every other good. Of every other good. And that's the way that all of the commandments hang on this. So if we could possibly know what it looks like to love God perfectly and to love our neighbor as ourselves, if we could know what that is perfectly, we wouldn't need the rest of it. Now, we don't, I, we're flawed human beings, so we don't know, so we do need the rest of it to show us what that looks like, what it looks like to love the Lord with all we are, to what it, show us what it looks like to love our neighbor as ourself. Um, uh, uh, Mark Scandrett, he came up with these questions about uh, commandments. And uh, there, I'll go over them briefly and then we'll talk about them. Uh, what is the ache that this commandment to love addresses? How do we tend to avoid and distract ourselves from this ache? What is the kingdom reality that Jesus offers to address this ache? And what practice can help us align our ache with Jesus' kingdom vision? So I want to talk about those questions a little bit today. So for every commandment, there is a moral reasoning behind it. Okay? So let me talk about that a little bit. So just take any commandment, especially let's, talk, let's do like New Testament. So like the commandment not to get drunk on wine, right? So that's not an arbitrary thing. We know as modern day people that getting drunk destroys some brain cells. It's not really good for our body, for our liver. We also know that a lot of times when people do that, they are using it as a coping mechanism for something. They're covering up some pain instead of dealing with it, right? And so that's not an arbitrary thing. God says, I know this thing hurts you, so I don't want you to do this thing because I'm for your good. So the commandment is not a commandment in the abstract. There's a moral reasoning behind it. And even if you look at the Old Testament, I mean, there's some that we're kind of, we're so far away from the context that it's hard to understand. So like there's a commandment not to wear uh, clothing of like mixed uh, materials, right? And so we're so far away from that context, it's kind of hard to know what the moral reasoning was, but you can be assured that there was one, that perhaps, perhaps there was some sort of exploitative practice associated with that. There was a moral reasoning. So what is the moral reasoning behind Jesus giving us this commandment between uh, the commandment of the Shema, telling us to love God with all that we are, and then telling us to love our neighbor that we are? What is the moral reasoning behind that? And I submit that that command to love God and to love others is to fulfill the need in us to sign on to something bigger than ourselves. In fact, to sign on to the ultimate thing that we could ever sign on to. And this is required for human beings to flourish. Even when we can't see it, even at times when it looks like the thing that we should do that would be human flourishing is to withhold love from others and to withhold love from God. And so what is that ache that that solves? The command of the Shema and the command to love others. The ache is loneliness. 
The ache is what comes from worshiping ourselves, from narcissism, from isolation, from self-centeredness. Jesus said, I've come to rescue you from that. How do we tend to avoid to distract ourselves from this ache? Will we fill our minds with other things? We fill it with noise. We fill it with pictures. We fill it with media and TV and movies and podcasts and music and things I love, frankly, but are no substitute for Jesus and his love. Um, we distract ourselves with work. We distract ourselves with ourself, sometimes under the guise of self-care, which I'm not one against self-care. It's very important. In fact, we love ourselves because God loved us. We make excuses to avoid and distort. We say, but look what they did to me as a reason not to give love to others, to withhold love. Or we may even say, I'm standing up for others by withholding love for that one. The people that they hurt, I'm standing up for them by withholding love. But withholding love can never bring about good. And so what is the kingdom reality that Jesus offers to address this ache? What did Jesus give? He gave himself. He gave himself. He gave everything on the cross. That is the gospel. Not just that we get to go to heaven when we die, but that through the cross, <laughs> God is making the world new. We are reminded in the bread and the wine when we take the Lord's Supper, he gave us each other and he gave us himself. He gave us himself. Perhaps you've heard of you, I, I kind of grew up in this context where the big mantra was God is all you need. Well, yes, as long as we understand that God made us for community, he made us for each other. Uh, there is no such thing as solo Christianity. We are only Christians together. Together. I heard someone say someone sometime, I'm tired of talking about going to church. I'm just going to be the church on my own. But you have to realize that you're, we are all parts of a body. On your own, you're not the church. You are a part. You're an ear or you're a mouth or you're a foot or you're something. You are not a body on your own. We need each other. You need love, and you need to be loved. So what practice can help us align that ache with Jesus' kingdom vision? How do we keep loving, especially those that we really would rather not, that we would rather not extend love to, we would rather not extend ahava to, Well, one, I think we need to practice. We need to practice gratitude. It is difficult to extend love to someone if I'm not overflowed with it myself. If I see love as something scarce, something to be piled up, if I don't realize that there's more where that came from and there always will be, then I will be tempted to hoard love. But if I am overflowing with it, then I have plenty to give. I can empty myself because I know that I will be filled right back up with God's everlasting love. 
Brene Brown, who I feel like I don't even have to say who she is because everybody knows Brene Brown is, but a researcher, an author, she did 12 years of research and she said that she couldn't find anyone who described their life as joyful who did not actively practice gratitude. Actively practice, meaning they kept a gratitude journal. They uh, daily would name out loud things that they were grateful for. Uh, they were part of families who would go around the table and, and, yes, say grace before a meal, but they would also name out loud something that they were grateful for that day. A Jesuit priest, Brother David Stendhal, I think I'm saying that right, uh, he says, the root of joy is gratefulness. It's not joy that makes us grateful, it is gratitude that makes us joyful. So the gratitude comes first. Uh, how, what other practices do we ha- can we have to help us align our ache with Jesus' kingdom vision? I can't help but notice when I read the story of Jesus how much time he spends in solitude. How much time he spends alone with God. Again, we cannot give what we do not have If you are unsure about the Father's love for you, you will have a difficult time extending it to others. If we could, I want to just lead us in a prayer. Um, And this is going to be kind of a a guided prayer and maybe a little bit different than you've experienced. I don't know. Maybe you're very much used to it. But if I could, could I just invite you to close your eyes for a second? And I'm going to read some words over you, and I'm going to um, pray some words over you, and then we're just going to sit in silence for a little bit. Holy Spirit, please guide me in the next few minutes. Please grant me eyes to see your fingertips and ears to hear your voice. Please speak. Your servants are listening. And as your eyes are still closed, I want to just speak some words over you and invite you to contemplate. As you look back over your experience with the Shema, what did you sense God doing and saying? Spend a moment thanking God for speaking to you and above all, for inviting you into the story of God's redemptive work on earth. Let's spend a few moments answering this next question to ourselves. 
How would you articulate the invitation God is extending to you today? How would you articulate the invitation God is extending to you today? Now, I'm going to read aloud this last prayer, and I'm going to uh, break it up into smaller chunks. And I just want you to yourself to, to pray this silently to God after, after me. Eternal creator and lover of all you have made. Thank you for life, breath, and the imitation of Christ. The imitation of Christ to get swept up in your work of healing and restoring all things. In this moment, I say yes to your love. I say yes to the kingdom of God. And I say yes to your unforced rhythms of grace for the sake of the world. Please receive me in all my brokenness and glory. And teach me to love. I pray this humbly and boldly in the name of the Father, the name of the Son, and the name of the Holy Spirit. Amen.